0: DJ and PK, it's 975 and 1280 the zone. Time to talk college football with Adam Amin, ESPN play-by-play broadcaster, part of the Mega Cast of the College Football National Title Game. Adam, good morning. Oh, it's
1: a good it is a good morning, my friends. It's the best one of the best days of the year.
0: <laughs> before, we, uh, before we get down to the game, I, I want to talk to you a uh, big picture about a few of the issues in college football. And one, uh, you know, it's the national title game's got – when the national title game has two undefeated teams, there isn't much to complain about. But I do think there's a big chunk of the country that says, you know, it's not 130 teams chasing playoff berths. It's the Power Five chasing Mm -hmm. playoff berths. But the fact is, inside the Power Fives, it might only be six, eight, or ten teams – chasing playoff berths you know the whole big 12 isn't chasing it but oklahoma is maybe texas and baylor are is that wearing everybody out what do you hear when you travel the country calling games
1: you know i think it it's it's starting to wear people out because this structure you know which has been in place now for what this is this sixth year of the format we didn't really worry about that before, right? Because you weren't necessarily pursuing something that was a little bit more uniform before. You know, before it was, you're almost just kind of competing against your own schedule uh, in a sense. So like, all right, let's see, if we go 12-0, and we've got a shot to at least be in consideration to be the number one team of the country. Then the BCS era comes around and goes, all right, well, kind of the same deal. The computers are going to decide it a little bit now. But if we're in the if we're in contention, if we're twelve and zero, we're eleven and zero going into that last week, or you know, going into the conference championship game in the Mountain West or in the Sun Belt. If we've had a perfect year, we certainly have a shot to be in a in a conversation. Maybe not the conversation, but in a conversation. I'm thinking about Boise State. Uh, maybe what was it, 2008, 2009, when they or uh, 2010 when they had that run. Uh, where they were unbeaten, they had that, you know, the fateful Kyle Bratzman game against Nevada. I'm thinking about that example. Now that you've placed a structure like this that is attempting to be uniform, but in my opinion has a fatal flaw in that there's no equity in it, so it's impossible to be a uniform system when not everybody seemingly gets a fair chance to be in the conversation – then I think, yeah, but I think people are going to get worn down by it. I think people are going to get a little annoyed by it or frustrated with it or whatever. Uh, I I think that's a fair assessment. At least that's been my estimation. Maybe it's just confirmation bias because I am talking about it in that sense with people, but I, I do seem to hear that, especially covering group of five games. You know, you go to Temple and Cincinnati, you go to these American conference teams that have had great years, they're undefeated, and they never really get brought into the conversation about the national championship, the UCF run. Uh, for a couple of seasons where they were unbeaten and nobody was really talking about them in that conversation. And and the question sometimes looms until we see a certain uh, level of expansion, will we ever even be able to have those conversations?
2: Yeah, the scheduling thing is a real interesting phenomenon because you look at Oregon, they chose to play – uh, a big school and they lose in the beginning and then they run the table except for one game in the conference in the Pac-12 and since the Pac-12 has gone from 10 to 12 there literally has been no team to go 9-0 and there's been a few who have gone 8-1 and and so Oregon gets upset by the Sun Devils in the next to the last weeks uh, of the season and they're out so it begs the question why play a powerful sec program early why not just play chico state and then go through and if you only had one loss most likely you would have gotten the bid i don't know but most likely maybe you would have gotten the bid against ahead of oklahoma and been in the 14 playoff so it you you start to wonder for some of these schools what's the incentive to beef up your non-conference schedule. And I think consumers like myself who love college football, without these big games in September, it kind of is a little bit empty.
1: I would agree. I mean, listen, look at Oregon's schedule next year. They're playing North Dakota State, which is not a joke of a game. That is a scary game to put on your schedule. They're playing Ohio State. I think they're playing Hawaii, which is not an easy game to play. You know, I, I know I'm not sure what Hawaii is going to look like without their quarterback next year, but you know, that's that's a different conversation. There is, I think there, you can certainly make a case for both. You can say, well, why do we even bother? Why do we even bother scheduling the way we do? Baylor has been criticized in, in years past with, but by not having a significant non-conference portion of their schedule. Maybe that's what kept them out in the initial playoff in 2014. Maybe you, could, maybe you can make an argument, and that's why Ohio State got in. Um, you know, Ohio State lost the game, I, if I'm not mistaken, to Virginia Tech that year early and then rattled off. Uh, a great run. I think they they won out the rest of their schedule and obviously went to the national championship game and and beat Oregon. But uh, I I think you can make a case for both sides, and when you can do that again, I, I think the question about uniformity still stands. I think when you're not when when you want to be a uniform product with a uniform structure, and the equity of that isn't necessarily applicable to teams across the board in multiple conferences that have completely different non-conference schedules that. Oftentimes, as you, you accurately mentioned, man, like, some conferences play nine games, some play eight. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if you can force uniformity in a structure that doesn't necessarily have the, the, I think, the architecture for it right now. And again, what's the best solution? I don't know. I, I, I've been a proponent of if you're going to make Power Five conferences already be elevated, fine, but let's just make let's make conference championships valuable again. Heck, if you if you ask me about it, I'd do away with conference championship games, and I would say let's just play out the regular season, play out the schedule that you have. The best team at the end of it wins the not wins the conference title and gets an automatic bid to a playoff, and replace the first conference championship game weekend with the first round of the playoffs and making an eight team playoffs. Or heck, if you're going that far, you might as well say, hey, why don't why can't we figure out a structure to make it sixteen? And I understand at this level, people don't want to necessarily put these athletes in that, in that spot. But I've been hearing a lot of excuses. And I think at some point, if there's money on the line to be made, somebody's going to say yes to this structure, the, whatever, ne- you know, whatever necessitates it, whether it's the Rose bowl game, that, that is very hell bent on sticking with January 1st, which, which fine. That's maybe the last bastion of, of tradition we may have in what is a completely overhauled system of this sport. So uh, I think if there's money to be made, somebody's going to figure out a way to make this work in whatever structure they want to make it work in, and I think that's the bottom line. And I know that's the cynic in me kind of pointing this out, but I I do think that when there's this type of money exchanging hands and this type of money that's available to uh, schools, conferences, unfortunately not the players, but uh, and and bowl games, I think somebody's going to figure out a, a way to make it work.
0: You know the thing about the fourteen playoff is uh, that was expanded from two to four because you know there might be three undefeated teams. There was with Auburn in two thousand four. There was again this year. So two's dicey. They're now always getting the right teams. They might leave the champion out when they went to four. The thought, well, the champion is in, but you know you move the bag back at first to eliminate the close plays. Now there's an argument about who four should be. Do you think this year there were just three teams that separated from everybody else by a mile and a half? Oklahoma got blown away by 35, but Georgia lost the SEC title game by 27. Maybe the only way to get a fourth team in there that could have competed with LSU in the semifinal would have been if Valoa was healthy and they gave Alabama a second crack, and that would have gone over really well with the rest of the country. Should the playoff just stay at four just because the top teams are too good?
1: You know, here's here's one thing that that you have to take into consideration, and I think you're right. By the way, I think this year maybe it was just one of those years. Everybody who's a proponent for the four team playoff is going to say, "Well, hey, look, it's perfect." Who, who there there isn't really a clear cut number four? I agree. I agree this year, and it's an easy argument and, a, and maybe the right argument to make for a four team playoff. There were only three great teams in college football this season, but if you said Starting in 2021, we're going to go to an eight-team playoff. It's going to be the structure that, that we just kind of discussed. You know, conference champions make it. And then there's, let's say, two wild cards. And let's let's allot a spot for the group of five, which, by the way, I don't think will ever happen uh, or, or won't happen until somebody says, yes, let's give those teams a piece of the pie. And again, there's money to be made out there. And nobody wants to give it up for anybody else. They want to keep it for themselves. It's fine. But let's say you were to allot a group of five slot, two wild cards for – you know, a Notre Dame, or you know, let's say a BYU if they have a great season, or uh, another SEC team if they had a particularly good run, and then you have your five conference champions that are that are in the playoff. Let's say it's an eight team playoff. People are going to complain, like, "Well, I don't want to watch Memphis against LSU. I don't want to watch that game in Baton Rouge." Let's say the you know the top four seeds host the host the first round game. I don't want to watch that game. That's not going to be a good game. Fine, so be it. Because the level of competition is significantly different. But what's going to happen in five years when you know, as a group of five team, let's say you're UCF and Scott or uh, or uh, Josh Heupel, let's say that your Memphis and Mike Norvell didn't leave for Florida State. Why did he leave for Florida State? Because he's going to a Power Five conference. Let's say there's a slot aligned for a group of five team to make the College Football Playoff. Don't you think that's going to change the structure of college football as we stand right now? Don't you think there are going to be a lot more high-quality players that would prefer to go to a place like a UCF or a Memphis or a Cincinnati because there's a group of five-slot aligned for them rather than go to, let's say, a mid-level SEC team that has an outside shot? Let's say, and I feel bad calling Texas A&M a mid-level team, but let's just, for the sake of the argument, call them that. Wouldn't you rather go to UCF and play for a coach that is going to stay at UCF because he doesn't want to go to a mid-level ACC job and he'd rather be at UCF because there's a chance to play in the college football playoff? Don't you think that's another sales pitch and a selling point to keep the best kid in Florida in Orlando rather than having him travel to, let's say, Auburn, Alabama or College Station, Texas? Now in five years, maybe not even that long, maybe in three to four years, the entire structure of the sport has changed because you've given incentive for coaches and players to not always have to go to a place like Auburn, Texas A&M, uh, Michigan, Penn State, uh, M- a Michigan State. They're, they don't want to go to Washington State now or Washington because now they have a better shot to go to the playoffs, playing at UCF or Cincinnati or Boise State. So you can change the entire structure of the sport and the perception of it and the talent balance that seems so diluted right now. You can balance the talent of coaching and athletes out if you give them incentive to do so. And I know they don't want to pay anybody. They don't want to give athletes money. Fine. Why don't you make it a little bit more equitable so that people feel like they have some incentive. They have some skin in the game. And when you do that, That will drastically change the structure of the sport, I think, as it stands right now.
2: It does appear, as far as tonight's game, that we have the two best teams. I guess Ohio State can make a little bit of a claim, but certainly LSU belongs in there. And Clemson won the game, so they belong in there. With that in mind, do you think that the country's really getting behind this game? Even if we have a little Clemson fatigue, I think Orgeron and Barrels are new stories at LSU. So I know for me personally, I'm excited for the game.
1: Listen, I, th- I think these are the two best best teams playing right now. Um, and, and, yeah, I certainly make a case for Ohio State, but I I think Clemson's defense, which held one of the best offenses in the country in check, to 23 points in Ohio State. They've only allowed 20 points one other time, uh, and that was against North Carolina earlier this year. Uh, and, and I know people are going to say, well, North Carolina. Uh, by the way, Sam Howell, their quarterback, true freshman, threw for 38 touchdown passes. Uh, he's a stud. He, that's a legit offensive team. So I think Clemson's, Clemson's defense has has been a calling card for them. I know their offense has routed teams, uh, especially since that North Carolina game and the bye week that, that, that followed. Uh, LSU has been the most dominant team. They proved that and again uh, in the semi against Oklahoma. They've got the most lethal offense in college football, as far as I'm concerned, obviously a Heisman winner. I think we've got the matchup that we wanted. We wanted the two best quarterbacks. We wanted... I I like the kind of quote-unquote home field advantage. I know Dabo Sweeney doesn't love it. I just think it's fun. I think it's an added fun element uh, that we wouldn't have really considered otherwise. Uh, I think both defenses have studs. Grant Delp at a corner uh, or in the defensive backfield for LSU. Isaiah Simmons is probably the best defensive player on the field in this game for Clemson. Plays every position uh, on the defense. So I think this is kind of the matchup we wanted. Right? We want a heavy blitzing Clemson team going up against maybe the best offensive line in the country, Joe Moore, award-winning offensive line at LSU. We've got one of the better offensive lines in Clemson trying to give time to, to Trevor Lawrence, which they did really well for good chunks of time against Ohio State, allowed him to run, allowed him to be a little bit more explosive in the run game, uh, still look downfield and make good passes. I I think this is the matchup we all wanted. And I think it's the matchup we deserve to close out a really fun season.
0: LSU wins this game unless Burroughs is flat on his back, getting knocked down a million times. Can they get to him without blitzing? Because it seems like he's seen every blitz and he's beaten it all. Now, if four guys can get to him, then maybe that's different. What do you think?
1: I don't think so. I, I and, and listen, it's, it, it comes down to execution, right? But Clemson is what it is because of its ability to blitz. Uh, they forced Ohio State into turnovers because they were willing to go exotic. Hey, I'm going to bring a corner in, fill the safety into the corner slot, or put the linebacker into the corner slot and let him defend and then move Isaiah Simmons from like a free safety position to the sideline and let him roam. And, and sure enough, it led to an interception. Clemson blitzes 39% of the time. That's top, top 10 rate in, uh, in college football. And they're very successful when they, get to the, when, when, they, when they blitz. They're very efficient. They get to the quarterback. They're in a league where, you know, Pitt is in there. Pitt's a really good front. Only, I think Pitt was the only team that had more sacks than Clemson in the ACC this year. Uh, I think LSU's given up something like 29-30 sacks, but they, again, let's, let's also know they're going up against some of the best defensive lines in college football. Uh, you know, when they're playing teams like Alabama, playing teams like Auburn, playing at Texas A&M, they're playing high-quality defensive lines. So, giving up the 29-30 sacks, I know people are going to say the metrics for a Clemson offensive line are a little bit better, but look, look what they did against Georgia. Seven, eight seconds for Joe Burrow to throw the football. They did the same thing against Oklahoma, which... I know people will will knock Oklahoma's defense, and maybe rightfully so, but they're giving time to Joe Burrow to try to dissect, and then he's got two of the best receivers in the country, and Chase and and Jefferson, and you could throw Terrace Marshall in there as well, who was great against OU. I think Clemson needs to blitz because LSU blocks really well without needing an extra tight end or a running back to help them out in blitz blitz pickup. So I think personally Clemson's going to have to bring an extra body Where they come from, that's what Brent Venables is great at. It's exotic. It's not exotic. It's a base pressure. It's an exotic look. It's a twist with an extra linebacker coming in. Simmons is going to come in. He's got seven sacks this year. I think they need to bring extra bodies because LSU's offensive line is that good. But is is Joe Burrow and is this offensive line going to be able to read it properly? If they do, Joe Burrow is going to have time. If they don't, Clemson's going to have a really good day defensively.
0: On the mega cast, the traditional broadcast is on ESPN. You're on ESPN2 calling it from the field. ESPNU, ESPN News will have other broadcasts that are different. Can you really see that well from the field? And more importantly, if you give up a little on what you can see, do you get to hear stuff when you're down on the field?
1: Yes. Uh, yes to both things. It is a little harder to see. Uh, and, and again, we're, we've been lucky because these championship games are held in, you know, Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, uh, Superdome here, uh, Tampa, Florida. They've got the big jumbotrons. I'm working off a jumbotron a lot. We have a monitor in front of us as well on the field. We've got a great crew that, that's running with us. Our camera people, our are, are, uh, are ops people, they're so – they work their butts off. Uh, they're running three or four miles over the course of the game just like we are. But uh, we, use, we use the tools that are at our display. And, again, like you said, you get this different feel – by being down next to, you know, a, a coaching staff or a couple players who are trying to cheer on their teammates, or you got analysts walking up and down the field. And you have that, that kind of living in the moment type of uh, field to the broadcast. And it's supposed to be different. We're not trying to be the most polished, perfect play-by-play analyst call. It's not about that. It's about giving people as best of a perspective as possible and obviously working off the tools that are given us, it, you know, I've, I've gotten through three of these with, with little to no issue, um, you know, like being able to call plays, being able to call pick sixes and touchdowns and, you know, Joe Tessitore calling the two, a by Loa overtime pass against Georgia a couple of years ago, me calling a Nicole Hardman touchdown coming right at us in the Georgia end zone. Like that's the, that's what we're there for. We're there to give you a completely different feel. We're not trying to be the main broadcast, which by the way, feel free to not tweet at us. And ask us why we're doing what we're doing because you can literally flip the channel one one notch over and find the traditional broadcast done done exceptionally well. So uh, uh, that's kind of how I would, uh, would would synopsize what we're what we're here to do.
0: Twitter is for angry people. They'll tweet at you anyway. They don't care. Don't hit them with logic. Exactly. They're not there for the logic. Thank you, Adam. We appreciate it. Anytime, guys. Adam Amin, ESPN play by play broadcaster. He'll be on ESPN two tonight, part of the megacast.